0: chapter 63 of the wyvern mystery this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by john brandon the wyvern mystery by joseph Sheraton lefanu chapter 63 a silent farewell at Knowlton farm each day was like its brother inflexible hours inflexible duties all proceeded with a regimental punctuality at meals not a word was spoken and while the master of the house was in it all conversation was carried on even in remote rooms in an undertone our little friend used to see the workhouse boy at prayers morning and evening and occasionally to pass his pale disquieted face on the stairs or lobbies when his duties brought him there. They eyed one another wistfully, but dared not speak. Mr. Archdale had so ordained it. That workhouse boy, perhaps he was inefficient. Perhaps too much was expected from him. But he had the misfortune perpetually to incur. I can hardly say his master's displeasure, for the word implies something emotional whereas nothing could be at all times more tranquil and cold than that master, but his correction. These awful proceedings occurred almost daily and were conducted with the absolute uniformity which characterized the system of Knowlton Farm. At eleven o'clock the cold voice of the sergeant major called, "'Tony,' and Tony appeared, writhing and whimpering by anticipation. "'My cane,' said the master, stepping into the room, which he called the workshop, where the organ, half finished, stood, stopped diapason, dulciana, and the rest in deal rows, with white chips, chisels, lead, saws, and glue pots, in industrious disorder round. Then Tony's pale, miserable face was seen in the parlour, and Miss Mary would look down on the floor in pale silence and our little friend's heart would flutter over his lesson-book as he saw the lank boy steal over to the chimney-piece and take down the cane and lingeringly disappear. Then was heard the door of the workshop close, and then very faint the cold clear voice of the master, then faint and slow the measured cut of the cane and the whine of the boy rising to a long hideous yell and oh dear sir oh sir dear oh mr archdale oh master dear oh master dear and this sometimes so protracted that mary used to get up and walk round the room in a kind of agony whispering oh poor boy oh poor tony oh mercy oh goodness oh my god when will it be over and sitting apart the little boy's eyes as they followed her would fill with tears of horror the little fellow said lessons to mr archdale there was nothing unreasonable in their length and his friend mary helped him it was well for him however that he was a bright little fellow with a good memory for the sergeant was not a teacher to discriminate between idleness and dullness no one ever heard mr archdale use a violent expression or utter a curse he was a silent cold orderly person and i think the most cruel man i ever saw in my life he had a small active horse and a gig in which he drove upon his outdoor business he had fixed days and hours for everything except where he meditated a surprise. One day the sergeant-major entered the room where the boy was reading at his lessons, and, tapping him on the shoulder, put the county newspaper into his hand, and, pointing to a paragraph, desired him to read it, and left the room. It was a report of the proceedings against Tom Orange, and gave a rather disreputable character, of that amusing person there was a great pain at the boy's affectionate heart as he read the hard words dealt to his old friend and worse still the sentence he was crying silently when the sergeant returned that stern man took the paper and said in his cold terrible tones you've read that yes sir and understand it yes sir if i find you speaking to tom orange I'll tie you up in the workshop and give you five dozen. And with this promise, he serenely left him. Children are unsuspicious of death, and our little friend who every night used to cry in his bed silently with a bursting heart, thinking of his mammy and old times, till he fell asleep in the dark, never dreamed that his poor friend Mary was dying she perhaps herself did not think so any more than he but every one else said it they two grew to be great friends each had a secret and she trusted hers to the little friend whom god had sent her it was the old story the troubled course of true love willie fairlace was the hero the sergeant-major had found it all out and locked up his daughter and treated her it was darkly rumoured with cruel severity He was proud of his daughter's beauty and had ambitious plans, I dare say, and he got up Willie's farm. And Willie was ruined and had enlisted and was gone. The sergeant-major knew the post office people in the village, and the lovers dared not correspond directly. But Willie's cousin, Mrs. Page, heard from him regularly, and there were long messages to Mary. His letters were little else and now at last had come a friend to bear her messages to trusty mrs page and to carry his back again to knowlton farm after her father had gone out or in the evening when he was at the organ in the workshop and sometimes as wrapped in her cloak on a genial evening she sat on the rustic seat under the great ash-tree and the solemn and plaintive tones of the distant organ floated in old church music from the open window through the trees and down the fragrant field toward the sunset sky filling the air with grand and melancholy harmony she would listen to that whispered message of the boys looking far away and weeping and holding the little fellow's hand and asking him to say it over again and telling him she felt better and thanking him and smiling and crying bitterly. One evening, the sergeant was at his organ pipes as usual. The boy, as he stood in the garden at his task, watering the parched beds, heard a familiar laugh at the hedge, and the well-known refrain. Tag, tag, Merry Derry Periwig and Hatband hic hock Horn hoc Genitivo. It was Tom Orange himself. In spite of his danger, the boy was delighted. He ran to the hedge, and he and Tom, in a moment more, were actually talking. It became soon a very serious conversation. The distant booming of the organ pipes assured him that the light gray eye and sharp ear of the sergeant were occupied still elsewhere. Tom Orange was broaching a dreadful conspiracy it was no less than that the boy should meet him at the foot of a field where the two osiers grow at 11 o'clock on the night following and run away with him and see mammy again and come to a nice place where he should be as happy as the day is long and mammy live with him always and tom look in as often as his own more important business would permit i will tom said the boy wildly and very pale and oh tom i was so sorry about the trial and what lies they told said the boy after they had talked a little longer and saying that you had been with gypsies and were a poacher and oh tom is mammy quite well yes and all my ships were lost on the moor and how is little Toozy, the cat very well blooming blushing and tom you are quite well, never better, as I lately told Squire Harry Fairfield. And mind ye, I'll be even yet with the old boy in here. And he indicated the house with a jerk of his thumb. I don't hear the organ, Tom. Goodbye, and Tom was off in a moment. And the boy had resumed his watering pot, and that evening he sat down with for the first time. A tremendous secret at his heart. There was one grief even in the hope of his liberation when he looked at poor Mary and thought how lonely she would be. Oh, if poor Mary could come with him! But some time or other, he and Tom would come and take her away, and she would live with him and Mammy and be one of that happy family. She did not know what thoughts were in the boy's mind as his sad, earnest eyes were fixed on her, and she smiled with a little languid nod. But he need not have grieved his gentle heart on this account. There was not to be a seeming desertion of his friend, nor anything she could mistake for a treacherous slight. That morning at two o'clock, Mary died. About ten minutes before, an alarm from the old servant who slept in the room called up her father. Her faithful little friend was on his knees, sobbing beside the bed, with her wasted hand in his, as the sergeant major, hastily dressed, walked in and stood by the curtain, looking down into those large, deep eyes. She was conscious, though she could not speak, she saw as she looked up her last look a few sullen drops gather in those proud eyes and roll down his cheeks perhaps the sad wondering look with which she returned these signs of tenderness smote him and haunted him afterwards there was a little motion in her right hand as if she would have liked him to take it in sign of reconciliation and with those faint tokens of the love that might have been the change of death came and the troubled little heart was still and the image of willie Fairlays was lost in the great darkness then the little boy cried aloud wildly oh mary pretty mary oh mary are you dead oh isn't it a pity isn't it a pity oh is she dead the sergeant dried his eyes hastily he hoped i dare say that no one had seen his momentary weakness he drew a long breath with a stern face he closed the pretty eyes that willie fairlace far away now will never forget and closed the little mouth that never will complain or sigh or confess its sad tale more you had better get to your room boy get to your bed said the sergeant not ungently laying his hand on the boy's shoulder you'll take cold give him a candle end of chapter 63 recording by john brandon